0: Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining Bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God. For it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. We are back with another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. We are continuing our trek in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been going verse by verse through the whole book of Ecclesiastes for a couple months now. And so here we're getting to chapter 5. We're about halfway through the book now. And uh, I'm not going to lie, this passage is rough. This is a topic that we don't necessarily hear a lot about. In a lot of churches today, this isn't a topic that's brought up at weddings. Uh, We're going to talk about the fear of God. And so we're going to dive right in to the first seven verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And it says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Just as dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. When you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it, because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Better that you do not vow than that you vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you, and do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? For many dreams bring futility. So do many words. Therefore, fear God." So the question that is presented in these seven verses is, How ought we to approach God? How ought we to direct our hearts and our minds as we draw near the Almighty, the Creator and Lord of all? This is the question that takes the forefront of these lines from Solomon. And he doesn't write in poetry here, at least not poetic forms that um, make sense to us. It's not written in what we would consider poetic verse. It's prose. It seems like straight text, as if it were instruction. So what is the way of the wise, and what is the way of the fool? And he starts off in, this, in the first verse with, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Right off the bat, we have an exhortation to guard our steps as we go to the house of God. Contextually, Solomon means the temple, not the synagogue, the temple. The synagogue hadn't been built yet. We're talking about the temple. We're talking about a unified Israel, that goes to the temple to offer sacrifices to worship to draw near to god they we have that one assembly area it's the temple that and this is before um, israel's civil war this is before the roman conquest and you had synagogues in all these different towns you had one meeting place so when it says house of god we're talking about the temple in terms of context we're talking about Beth ha-Elohim, the house of God. And the word El is pluralized as an intensifier. Elohim is plural of El. And it's, uh, we, that's in plural, not because there are many gods. That's not the house of the gods. But it's a singular, it's a plural noun that is being used in a singular sense. It is intensifying the weight of this noun. We see, we see this in Genesis as well. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And the use of Elohim is not an indication of polytheism, but a common Hebrew use of intensification. It further speaks to God's beingness. So back to Ecclesiastes. Why must we guard our steps? Solomon continues, Better to approach in obedience ...than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak. Do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. That is a little blunt, isn't it? There's not really a, a softening to these words. That is. That is pretty straightforward. God gave the Israelites specific instructions for how to worship him. I've been working through the Torah the last couple weeks, and you see a lot of these, these rhythms, the way they did things, that there's a specific way that we offer these sacrifices, that there's a natural rhythm to the way they sought God. And that part of what that rhythm did is it grounded them in who God is, in the fact that he's not like the gods of Egypt or Canaan, that he is God. Um, Leviticus 10 um, talks about um, some interesting stuff. And so verses 1 through 3, it says, Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu each took his own firepan, put fire in it, and placed incense on it, and presented unauthorized fire, other translations say strange fire, before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. Then fire came from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has spoken. I will demonstrate my holiness to those who are near me, and I will reveal my glory before all people. When they appropriated other things to the worship of Yahweh, of the God of covenant, it didn't go well. Uh, One thing that God makes abundantly clear throughout the Torah is you are not to do as the Canaanites do to worship as the Egyptians do. And so one thing we have to remain cognizant of is that God didn't need the temple. He's not bound to a building, but he saw fit to commune with Israel through the temple. And yet, in this story, they thought they could do better. But the temple was not put there for God's benefit, but for theirs. That He was inviting them into something bigger. Um, Acts 17 says the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands. as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. So God is not bound to the temple. But God saw fit to institute the temple for the benefit of the Israelites. That the temple became an invitation for the Israelites to come into the presence of God and worship God as he is. But it was very easy for them to drift away, to move in different directions, to offer sacrifices in a different way or from a different disposition. And there are many Um, quotations from the prophets about dishonorable sacrifices, about times when their sacrifices to God are um, displeasing to him. Leviticus tells us that uh, pleasing sacrifices are a pleasant aroma to God. But then there are other times where a half-hearted sacrifice or a tainted sacrifice is a displeasing aroma to God. Isaiah 1 it says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with blood. Amos chapter 5 says, um, says that similarly, even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fat and cattle. Take away from me. The noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll down like water, and righteousness, as an everlasting stream. the The right worship. We can gather from this is not merely in repeating the rituals or, repeating the truths, because the Jews all memorized massive amounts of scripture. Um, that first generation that entered the promised land was tasked with memorizing Deuteronomy 32 among other things about which helped keep them anchored in God's deliverance and the recognition of their their Israel's own unfaithfulness despite God's faithfulness and so there's this there's this understanding with the Jews that they memorize scripture that they saturated themselves with the hebrew scriptures but the right worship says god is not merely in repeating the verses it's not just going through the motions but it's something deeper something bigger as solomon says better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do for they ignorantly do wrong And on that, Benjamin Shaw comments, the man who comes to hear is a wise man. A man who comes only to sacrifice is a fool. In his ignorance, he does evil, though he does not think so. Another way of putting it is that a man who comes to hear the truth, a a man who comes to hear is a man of faith, a man who truly fears God. The man who comes only to sacrifice is a fool. A man without faith. So then we have to take inventory. Are the patterns of my worship motivated by abiding in God or checking off a list? Are we pursuing God or the things of God? Do we truly love God or the idea of God? Because it's God who saves. It's not the idea of God that saves. The idea of God has never saved anyone. It's always been God himself. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Another one of those anchor texts of Israel. Uh, 6 verse 4 says, Listen Israel, or hear Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. That's how we put it in English, but in Hebrew, it's more like pierce. It's more like stab them. Pierce our hearts with these things. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk down the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hands, and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your city gates. And if you notice, there is a direct transition from hearing these things to doing these things. That there is a combination of hearing and doing. And this is very much a pattern throughout Deuteronomy. It's hearing and doing. And that ultimately goes back to Genesis. um, After the fall, when God is giving his prognosis. um, After they've eaten the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. What does he attribute this to when he speaks to Adam? mean, um, he says in verse 17 of chapter 3, Because you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree, about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. That's, that's, the, that's the cause. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree. That you listened and did. And what what happened as a result of that? The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow, until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust." So. We've got this, This again, we have this pattern of listening and doing. And this is part of what Deuteronomy is um, illustrating, is Deuteronomy is a commentary on the last couple of books of the Bible. And so we have this repeated pattern of hearing, of listening, and doing. And this is the difference with sacrifice. Is it's not just hearing. Or doing but it's hearing and doing that flows from a right disposition which begs the question do we love God or do we love the things of God is is my doing a product of hearing a product of abiding in God of dependence on God Hebrews 12 says for you have not come to a mountain that can be touched to a blazing fire to darkness gloom and storm to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, those who heard it begged that another, that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, the mountain of Sinai, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn, whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God to all, who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. God beckons the worshippers this side of the cross, God beckons worshipers to come not to a temple, not to a symbol, but to a spiritual reality where Christ is seated above and our very existence is dependent on him. A reality where God is Lord and without fault, and we are sinful people in need of his tremendous mercy. Psalm 67 it says, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let, the, let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. In order for us to be joyful that the Lord shall judge, is for us to be righteous. For that to be a good thing, we have to be good. But Ecclesiastes three says, 5 says, Do not be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on, are on earth. So let your words be few. As it says in Zechariah, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Because the reality is, we are not good people. We can't rejoice that the Lord is our judge, because we are not righteous. No one is righteous, not even one. The Israelites were not permitted to enter the Promised Land because of sin. And so that whole generation was sentenced to death in the wilderness. And their children would enter the Promised Land. And their children were told, it is not because of your righteousness that I'm giving you this land. He tells us three times in Deuteronomy chapter 9, this is not because of you, but because of me. I am giving you this land. So when we pray, when we make speech to God, we come as beggars. We come as beggars, with people who cannot deliver, with people who bring nothing to the table. Jesus says very similar things to Solomon in Matthew chapter 6. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you pray... Go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the thing you need before you ask him. Charles Bridges comments on this idea, A protracted exercise may only be empty formalism. Prayerless prayer, the sacrifice of fools. Routine, not vitality. The heart is far from God. Loose and incoherent impulses also contrast with the few sober, recollected words. We do not pray to a flippant God, but the God who is. The God we are told by scripture to fear, to take seriously for all that he is. Exodus 5. Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is Yahweh, that I should obey him, by letting Israel go? I don't know Yahweh, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Again, we have... Listening and doing. Who is Yahweh that I should listen to his voice? God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Just as dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. When you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Better that you do not vow than that you vow and not fulfill it." In other words, say what you mean and mean what you say. When we pray to God, that is not a half-hearted endeavor. We don't read a script. We're not, we don't tell God that we're going to do things and then it doesn't mean anything. We're talking to the God who is. We're talking about the God of the universe who spoke and all things were made. Who spoke and hung planets in orbit. Jesus said to let your yes be yes, to say what we mean and mean what we say. When we commit something to God, we are making a commitment to a thrice holy being who made all the world with sheer words. This has weight. Weight's not even a strong enough word for this. This has gravity. This is gravitas. This is the weightiest of weights. And so then we come to the general application. And that is fear God. And the, the idea of fearing God is not a concept that we as modern Americans are particularly fond of. We don't we don't like the idea of being afraid of God, but this is not lip service or modified behavior. When we talk about fearing God, this goes down to our very core. Isaiah eight says, "Sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself. Let Him be your fear and let Him be your dread." We are told to fear God, to let Him be our fear and our dread, to fear God. How does that happen? How does that work? Because God is love. But when we read the New Testament, we still have this idea. Mark chapter four says on that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, in Christ, sleeping on a cushion. So they woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? And he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And notice this next verse. And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. They were fearful. The fear of God in a nutshell means we have to quit lying to him. If he knows our thoughts, even the ones we wish he didn't, then let us come to the one who knows all and still offered himself as a ransom to reconcile us to himself. Let us come to the God who is to be feared and to be praised. The God who we are told to fear is also the adopting God. Is also the God who lavished his love upon us in that he gave us Christ for our redemption. And in closing, I want to leave you with Romans 8. Because at the end of the day, we have to hold the fear of God on one hand, and then hold the adoption of God through Christ in the other hand. And they both point us to the gospel. Romans 8, one, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. <clears throat> for what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to The Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh. To live according to the flesh because if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for all those led by god's Spirit are god's sons for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear instead you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out abba father the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are god's children And of children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This is the God that Solomon tells us to fear. But this is also the God who has reconciled us to himself through the person and work of Christ. That he saves us from his just wrath and pours his mercy upon us, because Christ bore our sins in his body, died a human death, and was raised from the dead three days later, and beckons every sinner to come and be made new. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God, and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself if you want to hear more from bread of the word feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom get notified about new content whenever we go live um, you can also watch us on rumble video and youtube or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on facebook twitter or gab links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out and there will also be a message in the comment section Um, A free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's: The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture, and it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy, transformative Word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4-4.